Good morning. morning. Welcome to worship at Northminster Church. First off, we're thrilled to have Dr. Daryl Cluck fill in our pulpit while Pastor Jillian is out on maternity leave, and we're looking forward to his engaging sermons for the next couple of months. On behalf of us all, thank you, Daryl. Whether you're here in person in our sanctuary or joining us over our YouTube channel, we're so glad that you're with us. If you are visiting with us, we offer a special welcome, and we hope you'll participate in all aspects of our service. If you're here in person, that includes participating in communion. This is Christ's table open to all. Just follow the instructions you'll find in our order of worship. Our first gift to God in worship is our presence. To indicate your presence today, Everyone please sign the attendance register that you'll find in the hymn book holders on the chairs of the center aisle. As usual, children please come up for the children's message on the last verse of the opening hymn. Miss Beth will be presenting the children's message today. A few announcements that we'd like to point out to you which can also be found in your order of worship. First, there's a link to an Amazon wish list in your order of worship for our nursery and toddler room renovation project, and your donations will be greatly appreciated. Second, our youth will be meeting today at 5 o'clock. And next, Justin has an announcement for us on something really special that's going to be going on later this afternoon. Good morning. Um, Yay. (laughs) I don't usually get a microphone. That's great. Today at 3 o'clock, we're going to be doing a concert uh, with a bunch of the ULM students. Several of our choral scholars are going to be singing, and it's called Miscast. And it's a whole bunch of theater music, or mostly theater music. And it's all of them singing songs that they would never be cast as. So there's like age and and gender and, and race and all sorts of funny things. They're just singing songs that they really like to sing and that they sing really, really well. It is a fundraiser concert. Your presence is enough. We would also enjoy your presence. So please bring your checkbooks. Thank you. And it's 3 o'clock today. Thank you, Justin. I hope y'all are able to make it for that wonderful event this afternoon. Yes. Oh, yes, it is here at the church at 3 o'clock. Thank you, Debbie. We encourage you to stay after worship today for a good time of fellowship and to enjoy some light refreshments. Also, there's a sign-up sheet in the hall off the pastor's office for those who'd like to provide refreshments in the coming weeks. As always, please review the insert in the order of worship for other announcements and opportunities or check out our newsletter. Now, let us worship God together. Please join me in the call to worship. You who fear the Lord, praise God Almighty. For God did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. All the 
and all the families of the nations shall worship before Almighty God. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and the Eternal One rules over all the nations.
We have talked about parables before. Does anyone remember what a parable is? Okay, well, I'll remind you. A parable is a special story that uses things that you're familiar with, things that you know and understand to help you understand something that maybe is harder to understand. And Jesus really liked to use parables. And I really like the parables. So there's a lot of parables that Jesus used in the Bible to try and help us understand the kingdom of God and what it's like, because that's something that's hard for us to get, even for grown-ups. And so he would use these stories, and he would talk about things that the people knew and saw in their everyday lives, like shepherds and sheep, so that they would understand better what God's kingdom is like. So the parable that I'm going to tell you about today is from the book of Luke in the New Testament, and a lot of people call it the parable of the prodigal son. Okay, so Jesus even says, to illustrate the point, Jesus told a story. A man had two young, two sons, and the younger son told his father, I want to go ahead and get my inheritance now. I know you haven't died yet, but I really want my money now. And so his father agreed and gave him his part. Well, this son packed up all his stuff and moved away. It was like if your parents went ahead and gave you some money and you took it and you went to Hollywood. And you said, I'm going to be a star. And you went to all the parties and you hung out with the actors and you spent a lot of money maybe doing some things that were not so good for you, maybe drinking a lot, smoking some cigarettes. <laughs> so then he starts running out of money. It's like, oh no, what am I going to do? And he goes to Las Vegas. He said, this is how I can make a quick dollar. He goes to the casinos and he puts his, all of his money in gambling and he ends up losing everything. Now all this time, his older brother is at home He's working on the farm, he's helping dad, he's living right, he's doing what he's supposed to. Well, so the younger son, now that he's run out of money, he has to get a job. But nobody wants to hire him. So he ends up having to work at the dump. And he has to go through gross, disgusting trash to pull out the recyclables. Does that sound like a fun job? He doesn't even have any money to buy food, so guess where he gets his food? He gets his food from the trash. I know, right? All the while, his dad is back home. His dad has a big farm. He's got plenty of money. He's got lots of food. So the son gets an idea. He says, I think I'm going to go home, but I know my dad is going to be really, really mad at me. He's going to know that I've been doing things that were dangerous and things that were bad for me, and I haven't been kind. He's going to know I wasted all his money, so I'm going to have to beg for forgiveness. So the son starts the long trip home. He doesn't even have the money to take the bus. He has to hitchhike. So he gets back to town, and he starts walking the road to his house, and guess who sees him far off in the distance? His, his father. His father sees him. So 
So his father sees him, and before he even gets to get down on his knees and start begging for forgiveness, his father comes running, running down the road as fast as he can. He is so happy to see his son that he hasn't heard from in months. He grabs him up in a big hug, and he says, I tell you what, I am so happy you're home. We're going to have a huge party. I'm going to pull out all the stops. We're going to play music. I'm going to get you the best clothes to wear. We're going to have all your favorite foods, and we're going to celebrate that you are home. Well, he also has the older brother, right? And the older brother's over there thinking... I'm not even going to this party. This is not fair. I've been here this whole time, doing what I'm supposed to do, being patient, helping dad. And he holds a grudge. Well, there's a few questions I have about this story. First of all, if Jesus is using the story to tell us about something that can be hard for us to understand, that means that the dad in this story is not really just the dad. Who do you think the dad is in this story? No, no, God, good job, Ellery. The dad is God in this story. Now, sometimes we might be the younger brother. And let me ask you what happened. When the younger brother came home, did the dad say, you've got to beg for forgiveness? Did the dad say, okay, you're going to be punished for the stupid things you did, and then I'll welcome you back? Did the dad say, somebody is going to pay for this? No. No. Just like God does for us, the dad welcomed him back with open arms. He loved him so much, right? Sometimes in the church, we can be like the older brother. We might see people out maybe not living their best lives, maybe not always being kind, And we might sometimes feel like it's not fair that God loves them just as much as he loves us. But this story is telling us, yeah, it's good news for us and it's good news for everybody, right? Because it's not about what's fair. It's about God loves us so much that he welcomes us or she welcomes us back with open arms anytime we're ready, right? Yes, ma'am? That's right. That's right. Okay, yes, ma'am? You can tell me later, okay? Okay, let's turn around so we can say our prayer. Remember that you are leading the prayer. Turn around. Don't be shy. You've done this a bunch of times. Okay, say it nice and loud because we want everybody in this church to know how much God loves them, right? Right? Okay, you ready? All right, repeat after me. I see the face of God in you. I see the face of God in you. The love of Christ comes shining through. The love of Christ comes shining through. And I am blessed to be with you. And I am blessed to be with you. Oh, holy child of God. Oh, holy child of God. All right, guys, I'll see y'all next week.
A reading from Isaiah. Indeed, who would ever believe it? Who would possibly accept what we've been told? Who was witnessing the awesome power and plan of the eternal in action? Out of the emptiness he came like a tender shoot from rock-hard ground and didn't look like anything or anyone of consequence. There was no physical beauty to attract our attention. So he was despised and forsaken by humanity, this man of suffering, grief's patient friend. As if he was a person to avoid, we looked the other way. He was despised, forsaken, and we took no notice of him. Yet it was our suffering he carried, our pain and distress, our sick to the soulness. We just figured that God had rejected him, that God was the reason that he, he hurt so badly. But he was hurt because of us. He suffered so. Our wrongdoing wounded and crushed him. He endured the breaking that made us whole. The injuries he'd suffered became for our healing. We had all had wandered off like shepherdless sheep, scattered by our aimless striving and endless pursuits. The Eternal One laid on him the silent sufferer, the sins of us all. The prophet speaks for God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O God, ruler of the everlasting realm, prince of peace, champion of the despised, you are sovereign. You make a cross your throne. You wear a crown of thorns. You call your subjects friends. Help us to deny ourselves Take up our cross and follow you in doing good to all so that your will and way may be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us when we deny you and follow our own selfish ways. <clears throat> Forgive us when we make your cross into a cheap piece of costume jewelry with no meaning beyond artifice. May we never hinder, but engender your new creation among us. In the name of the Christ of the cross and of all creation, amen.
reading from the Gospel according to Mark, the 8th chapter, verses 31 through 38. Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. After three days, then, he would rise. He said all this quite openly. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Jesus called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any wish to come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? This is the good news. Thanks be to God. I was a freshman at Washtenaw Baptist College in those days in Arkadelphia, Arkansas. And I was enamored with all things shiny and new about the collegiate experience. There were upperclassmen, yeah, upperclassmen. And some of those upperclassmen wore these really nifty, and in our time we would say cool, blazers. They were the Beta Beta Social Club. Now, they were known for bringing preacher boys and normal boys together in this club. I was a preacher boy, and I wanted in. <clears throat> now, Watchtower, we didn't have fraternities. That would be too secular. We had social clubs, and they were nothing like fraternities except they were exactly like fraternities <laughs> without the name and, and national affiliation. Now, for example, social clubs didn't have dances. Baptists didn't dance in my day. Yes, I'm that old. <laughs> but they had functions. And in these functions, they played music. And sometimes... If music is playing in a function, you got a function. And what could we do if people wanted to be moving around a little bit to the music? Well, I wanted to be a beta. And I was particularly struck by those blue blazers. And they had a black crest with a white cross on it. I pledged beta. And got more than I bargained for. That was before there was a ban on hazing. The whole point of pledging was hazing. 
I do admit that my theology on the afterlife developed quickly going through hell week. It was hell all week. And somewhere in the madness and the mayhem, a member dropped this bomb on us. You know, he said, that cross on the emblem means so much more after you complete your ultimate act of commitment to our club. It gets real, real when you're hanging there. You know? We knew. He didn't have to come out and say it. We knew what he meant. That this week of initiation would end, not in figuratively being crucified, but into actually being crucified. And we talked together, we said, they probably won't use nails because that'd probably be illegal and you can see the signs and stuff. They'll probably tie us up there. But how long are they going to make us hang there and recite the members of the club and all of the motto? We didn't know, but we terrified. were terrified. Of course, they were just hazing the hell out of us and no crucifixions occurred. So for those of us who have not been crucified, literally, what does the cross mean? During Lent, the liturgical color is purple, and you see we've draped or veiled the crosses in this purple. You can see that cross that was carried in now veiled in the cross that stood on the communion table, now veiled. They're veiled to say to us that the glory of God is obscured during this time of Lent, during this time that we struggle to know ourselves and examine ourselves as we move toward Holy Week. We can't even say hallelujah or sing it during this time. The cross is hidden to be revealed. Now, to Christians of our ilk, the cross can be kind of an embarrassment, an encumbrance. Let me think about it. The cross seems to be an unfortunate vestige of a fundamentalist past. It has no place in a faith perspective as hip and trendy as us. We're repulsed by depictions of the cross, such as Mel Gibson's The Passion of Christ, which makes a, a bloody spectacle of gratuitous gore. In fact, we're so afraid of blood that during communion, most of the ministers I've heard who celebrate communion here try to say every word they can think of <clears throat> except blood. We don't like it. The cross makes us uncomfortable. But it can't be denied it's ubiquitous on our buildings, in our graveyards, on my front license plate, along with the symbols for major faith groups. The cross stands for Christianity, spelling out coexist. The T is the cross. We wear a cross around our necks and even on hot crossed buns. Although the old rugged cross, it's a song you'll never heard sung here, I can guarantee you, 
Justin would walk out. Yeah. No, try nothing but the blood. Don't, don't even try that one. We stand when it processes in this cross for all to see. We've bedecked crosses. The excruciating death of execution on the cross, we've bedecked it in silver and gold and jewels. Two simple lines, one vertical, one horizontal, have been transmorgified into an almost endless variation of design, ornate, intricate, exploding in every direction and intention. <clears throat> My favorite cross is the Celtic version with the circle. My favorite TV newscaster wore an anchor cross one morning. That is a cross which has a, a curve and a hook like an anchor. Get it? TV, anchor, anchor cross. Where's that rim shot on that fancy organ of yours? My insurance is Blue Cross. My blood transfusion is from the Red Cross. So I think we're pretty well stuck with the cross in Western civilization, especially if we call ourselves Christians. But what are we going to do with that cross on our hands? How do we take up the cross without tearing down our progressive faith? It can begin with what taking up the cross does not mean. Taking up the cross does not mean using the cross as a cudgel. Many of us have felt that pounding of guilt and deprecation in the name of the cross. During the decades long fighting between Northern Irish Catholics represented by the color green and Northern Irish Protestants represented by the color orange, the actor, writer, and singer Richard Harris wrote and recorded the following entitled, There Are Too Many Saviors on My Cross. There are too many saviors on my cross lending their blood to flood out my ballot box with needs of their own. Who put you there? Who told you that that was your place? You carry me secretly naked in your heart and clothe me publicly in armor, crying, God is on our side. Yet I openly cry, who is on mine? Who? Tell me, who? I hear your daily cries in the far-off byways and your youth pointing north and south. I hear you open your mouth, but the earth is petitioned. It is the petition in your hearts you must abolish. There is no issue stronger than the tissue of love, no need as holy as the palm outstretched in the run of generosity. Whose name do you fight? I'm not in heaven. I'm here. Hear me. I'm not in you. Feel me. I am of you. Be me. I am with you. <clears throat> See me. I am for you. Need me. I am all humankind. I'm not orange. I'm not green. I'm a half-ripe fruit needing both colors to grow into ripeness. <clears throat> Let me and my betrayal 
lie low in my grave, and you and your bitterness lie low in yours, for our measurements grow strangely dissimilar. Our Father, who art in heaven, sullied be thy name. The cross can also be a cudgel to beat ourselves up, beat ourselves down. For so long I was overwhelmed with guilt. When I surveyed the cross, it wasn't wondrous. It was shame-inducing. I felt guilty for what I did. I felt guilty for what I didn't do. I felt guilty for not feeling guilty. Not feeling guilty enough. A little guilt goes a long way. And it took a lot of therapy for me to realize that not in my stomach was not God in heaven or Jesus on the cross condemning me, but so many others cajoling, chiding, and correcting me. In that breakthrough, the cross became grace to me. But was I finally cross-wise? No, because the cross of grace can easily become the cross as a crutch. We're mistaken if we take up the cross as a crutch, thinking that Jesus did it all and we have no need to respond, no responsibility. To take up the cross as crutch is deny the cost of the cross for us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor and theologian. He came in contact with and conflict with the juggernaut of the Nazi Germany. The German church had, for the most part, gone along with Hitler due to fear of retribution for resistance. Hitler declared himself the head of the church, demanded compliance, but Bonhoeffer knew better. Jesus was still Lord and still head of the church. And so he coined a phrase which we might well hear again today. He viewed the craven Christians of his time as being content with cheap grace. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal repentance. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ. Living and incarnate. Now, as a card-carrying member of the Baby Boomers of America, I am allergic to words like discipline and sacrifice. That was what the greatest generation did to enable us to be free to find ourselves. Can we take up our cross with all the discipline and sacrifice required and still be faithful to the liberation of the human spirit? I propose we can. We can be Christian and real and open and accepting. We can embrace a committed and demanding faith, but the commitments and the demands may look radically different. What if the cross is not so much about going to heaven when you die as it is about bringing heaven here while we live.
What if the cross of Jesus Christ is the cross of the cosmic Christ who heals the brokenness of all creation and makes all things new? What if the Christ event is a revelation of the nature of the eternal? Could we imagine the cross as proclamation of the good news? God is love and Jesus shows it. The cross of Christ is the archetype of God's eternal love. Now, folks, I know it's just the start of Lent, but spoiler alert, the cross is not the end. God's love never ends. The life, the death, the resurrection of Christ are the blessed metaphors which give shape to our faith. The truth is, metaphors are all we have of God. Metaphors and mystery. If you want more, if you want your faith to be literally true, sorry. It's not. Faith is not literally true. Faith is literarily true. Our faith, the faith of Christian church, is based on stories and parables and poems and prophecies. The history is the context of the content of our faith. The faith is always more than what history can see or tell. History is the vessel of mystery. Historicity is bundled up in mystery. So what do we make of the cross in our day? How do we take up the cross? As a cudgel to beat others into believing just like we do? As a cudgel to rack ourselves with never-ceasing guilt? As a crutch to avoid the radical hardship of following Christ? As a crutch to avoid the radical call to risk all? For kingdom come? What does the cosmic Christ on the cross of eternity mean for us? What are the demands of this Christ in all, for all? What are the demands of the cross? What if they're the care of this creation that Christ makes whole again on the cross? What if the cross of the cosmic Christ brings a new creation, a new way of being, a new relating, a new way of building a new world of justice, mercy, and peace. After all the sawdust of cross construction settles, what do we see standing before us? Stripped of all gilding and gore, veiled for us to look at hard, to see what's there. Stripped of everything, we see a cross with our name on it. Our like motif. Our solidarity with the cosmic Christ. What we see is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. What we see is the nature of God that Jesus came to reveal. The cross reveals the identity of divinity. We all know God is love. That'll preach. Good old God, our lovey-dovey heavenly buddy. A cudgel for our enemies, a crutch for our ethical infirmities. 
the cross standing before us with our name on it begs to differ. The cross most certainly affirms that God is love, but the cross of Jesus Christ, the cross that we're called to take up, is not love in general, but love in particular. The love which embraces us and all creation is sacrificial love. God is sacrificial love. That's the good news which scandalizes us this Lent. So when we wear it, bear it, behold it, bury our dead beneath it, may the cross of Christ transform us into the sacrificial love of God.
We are here because Jesus has called us. Strangers and friends, locals and visitors, believers and doubters, the certain and the curious. It's always a mixed company that Jesus gathers and invites to this table where, in bread and wine, Christ meets us and through him, we, who are different, are joined to each other. So come, not because you understand, but because you're understood. Come, not because of how you feel, but because God has food for you. Come, not because you deserve a place, but because Jesus invites you just as you are. Now pray with me. Our Father, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is not my table. This is not your table. This is not Northminster's table. This is Christ's table. And all are welcome to share in Christ's love.
Dying 